Well, hello everyone. Welcome once again to Marketing Meanders with Sally and Sam. And today we are, are very privileged and excited, I think, as well, to, to be interviewing and having a, a good old meander with Andrew Hancock, who is founder and creative director of Brand Asylum, uh, which is based in Oxfordshire, Oxfordshire's brand communications agency. And uh, Andrew has uh, extensive experience um, in the area of brands and obviously marketing communications. And so we're, we're looking forward to having a really interesting conversation with him about all sorts today. But before we get to that, I just wanted to obviously welcome Andrew and, um, and kick off with, uh, well, our first question to him, which is uh, perhaps if you could combine his favourite dish combined with just, you know, hello and who are you and how are you feeling today, Andrew? Sam, morning and uh, thank you very much. And Sally, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, I can't wait to see where this meander takes us. Um, a little bit stumped with the first dish. I've got a number. Um, so I'm going to go for something a little bit out there, left field. I'm going to go for Moule Marinier. Oh, love. Purely because I see it as three dishes in one. You have your bread, which could be your starter, a little bit of butter on, then have your moule as your main, and then to finish, you have a little bit of soup to soak it all up. So it's kind of everything. You can mix and match the flavours. Depends where you are, and especially if they're fresh or in the south of France or up in Scotland, they take completely different. Um, and, I, yeah, I love it. I love the feeling of eating with your hands, and you pick the little more shells out to, to clam it. It's a it's a bigger experience just eating a burger, for example. <laughs> yes, I like that. That's brilliant. Brilliant. No, they're very very good choice. That's uh, one of my one of my wife's favourites as well, actually, as you say. And I, I like the fact you've got that multiple uh, elements of a dish in one. So uh, that's fantastic. Well, what a great start. Yeah. Oh, making me hungry now. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll hand over to Sally before I start salivating too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can only agree that sounds absolutely delicious. Um, But I'm going to start with the the sensible brandy questions now. Um, It was really interesting because in a way, what you just described as moule marinere is a way almost like how a brand works, isn't it? People tend to not think that brand has more than one level. It's not just one thing. It's not just, oh, here's my logo. That must be a brand. Do you think a lot of people make that mistake? I I think massively. I think... Over the years I've been doing it, which is quite a few now before giving my age away, it's people just see it potentially as a a logo or a a picture with a little bit of comic sans type underneath it, and then they think that's brand is done. Um, And I think also brands changed over the years. It's now, it shouldn't just be called brand, it should be about brand engagement. Um, And I think Sally, you're absolutely right with the the food. Um, It's like with the more money you engage with the whole experience of it. And a brand should be all about engaging through the whole experience with different touch points, through not only how it looks and feels, how it's said, how it's spoken, how it's delivered, how you're marketed to. And then, you know, it's all about trust, isn't it? You know, there are big brands that everybody likes and loves, and they go back to time and time again. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're made to feel special by the brand. So it's not just a logo. It's not just one thing. It's a whole heap of things that are constantly changing, evolving, and making you, the consumer, feel special. Yeah, I, th- I, mean, I think a lot of people get that very wrong. And a lot of people do think, as you say, here's my logo and that is my brand. And then you say, and then they make their brand completely static. So they've got their brand. My brand is this and here's my strap line and that's what it is. And then they kind of have this tortuous relationship with it, trying to squeeze in their messaging into this brand that they've kind of said is got to be there all the time. And it can make things really uncomfortable. 
hundred percent. And also, I think you know, people might come up with a brand and a brand name and a strap line, and then over time, you know, every business evolves. But they don't evolve in the brand with that, and they don't evolve the messaging or what's being said. So, what they might be saying on their brand is not what they do in reality. Yeah, that's right, and that's a and people notice that people don't people think maybe customers don't notice that, but they do. I'm now trying to think of an example, which will come to me eventually. But they, people do notice that you say the best fizzy pop in the world if you're Coca-Cola, and then they find that actually no, we went when that's where Coca-Cola went wrong when it went from making Coca-Cola, which we all know with it, to making water. When Coca-Cola launched its water brand, and you think, "Ow, this is awkward." Customers are going to notice that. What What are you saying to me here? This I don't know what this water thing is going on on about, really. Yeah, and I, I think that's again the same. It's like you know, Coca-Cola is a great example. Coca-Cola owns so many sub-brands that are standalone brands by themselves, but they they're they're the parent company. So they've actually gone into their you know they're so. And one of the best things ever is, I don't know whether you guys have seen it, is the um, Father Christmas brand guidelines from Coca-Cola. And it's all <laughs> about red, white. And that's, it's, it's phenomenal. Google it. It's one of those amazing little reads about you know, how a brand works and should work. Um, and Coke does it. And it almost does it goes, we're so precious of our own brand Coke and that name, we can't be associated with like soft drinks, with like water, you know, all the other brands that they have underneath their parent brand company. That's right. And that's hard. I mean, having people, because I used to work for um, publishing companies and publishers will have lots of different brands under them. Some of the brands are authors who have huge egos and want want to be the whole new brand, or they're just types of books. I used to work for Penguin. And then under Penguin, there's Puffin, which I think we all know and love. But they also had, a lot of you probably don't know, they had a whole brand for Pterodactyl, which does actually begin with a P. And, and that was their hardcore um, academic anthropology. So they had these multiple brands that they're all birds and they all began with a P, Puffin, Penguin. Uh, Sally, are you telling me pterodactyl starts with a P? I'm, I am telling you pterodactyl starts with a P. I, you know, every day is a learning day. <laughs> See, there you go. It's I'm a silent P. I'm just glad you didn't ask me to spell it, Sally. That's the main thing. <laughs> That's the next time. And it's, there's no comma, Andy. Managing those sub-brands can be awkward and you, I, mean, I think people have to think quite hard about when they think about, oh, we've got a new brand, a new product here. Like um, Sam and I constantly talk about handbags. <clears throat> if we suddenly said, oh, we're going to have a whole new, um, we're going to start selling sneakers in our shop. You have to think quite hard, don't you, about how that's going to work with your Uber brand on the top. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think I think you can have a lot of fun with brands. I, I think for the brand owners, it's very hard. And, and you know, I've worked with big, big companies such as Atos, where they have brand police. And they are so stringent. And they're literally about 50 people around the world checking every single thing, content that's pushed out to make sure it's on brand because they are so absolutely nailed on. Like it's got a tone of voice got to be like this. Imagery has to be like this. Logo has to be used in this way. You know, there's so many more things than just, you know, a picture a bit of copy, your logo stuck on the bottom. And it's all going to work together as one. It's almost like baking the most perfect cake. All the ingredients have got to be together in the right way to create this amazing Victoria sponge with candles and sugar icing on top and all the rest of it to, to make it stand out. I think that's what every brand wants. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's interesting what you said as well about because um, for, for me it's sort of there's the cause we 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 had a previous conversation about I suppose smaller businesses and saying well, you know where where do, where do you start with creating your brand the sort of the origins of a brand origin then as, as you, if you already said uh, Andrew about the existence so it exists and it evolves um, and then it's the manifestations I suppose so the marketing angle I suppose being the as you say the brand police the manifestations of the brand in terms of communications how people find us, how they understand about us. And then the whole aspect of what does that actually mean? So if, if we do the logo in a certain way, we have a certain tone of voice, we use certain imagery, what are we trying to elicit in the minds of of, of our consumers and, and the world at large? But I, I was interested in particular as well about what we've heard an awful lot about this year, 2022 and onwards, I suppose, is this interactivity. As you said, about going right back to the moment, yeah, the, the idea of, how people interact with brands, and and I mean, there's there's clearly more technological options, but would you say that that interactivity, that engagement, is is increasing, and is it or is it changing? Is it diversifying? Is it is it harder for uh, brand managers and marketers to to achieve that, or or easier? Wh- wh- how how do you think that's that's developing? I think I think it's harder for brands because year on year there are more tools to be seen on more channels to be exposed to. Take, for example, TikTok. You know, only recently now, it's been going a few years now, TikTok, but only recently now, or certainly I've seen it, in the past 12 months, more and more high-level brands advertising using TikTok as a platform, a serious platform, to push their brand out. And it's just another target market they're trying to, you know, engage with. Um, I think you have to do all the standard things. I think for smaller brands, it's just being honest with yourself. And it's being honest with what the company does, not being this, you know, this grandeur and we do this, this and this. And it's kind of being, actually, we just do this, do it really well. And this is what we believe in. This is our USP. This is why we're different. And then people buy into that. I think, uh, you know, the general public are very savvy now and they soon go, actually, that's a load of rubbish. I'm going to go with these guys. And it's, it's there are some great brands who do it, you know, um, I'll try to name a few now, but I think there are some which you go, yeah, that really works and engages. And others where you go, actually, they're trying a little bit too hard. Okay. So you don't have to be everywhere all the time. So your brand doesn't have to be on TikTok and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn all the time everywhere. That would be a mistake you would suggest for some people. I, yeah, I think so. If, if your target market isn't there, then there's no point in, in pushing yeah. it there. I think it was, was it Dove? I can't remember who it was. Um, and they had literally had a sofa in a shopping mall. There's where people just come and sit down and have a chat. And it was amazing. It was all just about talking and giving people time for a chat. And it was the most, it was, you know, you can have lots of different campaigns across things. But it was almost like there, they used to be like, just stop for a minute. Just, you know, have a break. Life's busy. You know, and we're going to do that. And it was, it's, I think that's a nice thing about, you know, going back to the start. We, with brands, brands need to work with campaigns. And the campaigns need to then lead into the brands that re- reassert what the brands stand for through those campaigns, not just sell, 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 offer, offer, offer. It's like actually there's more to it with a brand and a campaign and the strategy that goes with it. I think that's really interesting. You often forget that actually your brand is part of the campaign because you so often you can just forget you've got the campaign, you've got the brand there at all when you're doing the campaign because actually you're selling, let's say you're selling a, t- a particular handbag. 
um, and just focus on the handbag, what the handbag does, what the handbag does, and you forget the Cotswold leather brand that's sitting above the handbag. And you don't, you're absolutely right, and that's a really big mistake and something we all get wrong. And so you don't actually put any of the brand um, messaging into your campaigns. It's extraordinary, actually, that that's a huge thing you can do. Yeah. And I just, just going back to, to a, a great brand and, and ripping off brands, which is like a slightly different thing altogether. But I can remember being in Turkey on holiday a number of years ago. And uh, as, as one of the, you know, the, the countries where they like creating fake brands, <laughs> you know, I thought, well, that's, this is interesting. I'll go have a look at the local market. And they had your Rolexes and your Taggers and your, your Ralph Lauren T-shirts and, and and all of them, you know, all for about, you know, 25p, but, you know, really good quality. <laughs> I bought a couple. Um, but anyway, I was at Ralph Lauren, and they had a, a, a Ralph Lauren stall. And the classic Ralph Lauren polo shirt with the little polo horse on the thing. And they didn't just do, like, you know, the polo player on the polo horse on your left breast. They had the polo player falling off the horse. <laughs> which That's I genius. was a stroke of genius. Yeah. <laughs> So I immediately bought three of those because I thought that's that's perfect. I'm, I'm engaged because they're actually taking the Mickey out of themselves for being so yep, fake. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely genius. That's a fabulous bit of brand abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I have a similar thing where I bought some, uh, you know, I think it's a headphone. It was, uh, well, I knew they were, I just needed some headphones. I was on holiday. I forgot my headphones. I just needed some. And I knew I was getting it from this tourist shop, which obviously was all going to be fake. So I thought it was almost an exercise in seeing which had the most entertaining description on the back uh, with the, the, the way in which they'd actually just, you know, talked about um, it's just a fantastic combination of words, which didn't make any sense but about something like, you know, amazing, magical experience, wonderful. So they kind of someone had gone through a translation machine somewhere and taken what, you know, whatever they were, bows, whatever it said, and then turned it into this weird thing. But I mean, it's interesting in a way, I suppose that sort of idea of, as you say, people sort of, you either sort of go <laughs> completely, you have a sort of almost an anti-brand or, or almost in a way, or, or you sort of, you, you don't try and copy. Because I suppose there is that temptation, isn't there? Certainly with people people smaller businesses as well thinking well what what are the big boys doing and saying out there how can we look bigger than we are how can we you know build something but as you as you say as well I mean that coming back to your you know, why are you here and what are you doing I suppose for even smaller business owners it's almost this you know like our handbag shop for example you know what why what's your why what's your purpose of why you're doing this providing the service yes you want to make a living but you want to make a living doing this particular thing service products um and and what does that generate because i mean sally and i've spoken about this in the past when sort of that you know how much the the brand ownership if you can call it that where that belongs it's sort of like we were saying you start something and then as soon as you have followers or an audience or and customers hopefully does the brand i mean what i'd be interested to know your thoughts on this andrew who, who then the brand then becomes almost the ownership of the collective, in my mind anyway, becomes the community and the consumers are very much, it's directed by you, but who, wh how, how do you perhaps influence that? And, or is that, do you think that's true at all, that the, sort of the brand is then sort of effectively almost owned in inverted commas by, by your audience? Um, how, how much do you agree or disagree with that statement, I suppose, is what I'm trying to get to. I, it's quite interesting, that, isn't it? It's, it's like if, if Coca-Cola suddenly changed their cans to luminous green, Overnight, there'd be absolute uproar, you know, and the consumers, their market would go, no, we want the red cans back. And they're taken back. 
But you know, I, I think for a smaller, uh, you know, a, a smaller business, I think it's slightly different because I think the the brand will evolve and change. So you need to have that ownership of that. You can't be swayed by what your customers want to do. You want to be true to your brand. Yeah. There's an argument that you actually want to listen to what they're saying because they might be right if they're buying a product. But also you want to be true in terms of actually what's your vision, where's your direction, where does it want to go? As you could be just going, oh, I'm going to be green one day, blue the next, and red the next, and <laughs> I've changed my logo to this, and I've done sans serif to serif font, now I'm going to go script, and I, yeah. I just want to go back to Comic Sans. You know, yeah. and the best brands don't change very much. They're just tweaked. A great example of that is Starbucks. If you look at Starbucks logo, it was really complicated, really complicated. And over the years, it's been like, you know, paired back, paired back, paired back. Now it's a really stylish, simple logo. That is interesting. Because if you, actually, if you look at the history of the Coca-Cola logo, the Coca-Cola label started, if you look at the very, very beginning they launched it, it's a kind of Victorian black and white picture with loads of copy on it. This very complicated kind of um, two people standing with drinks and loads of fabric clothing, etc. It's really complicated. And seeing that brand development is really interesting to seeing it doing that. I think what we have, what, what I do at Brand Asylum is I have this mantra called KISS, which is keep it simple, stupid. And it's very much taking that, you know, where you've got everything's complicated in marketing, in branding, in design, in websites, in digital, in wherever you want to go, it's complicated. The best stuff works when it's the most simplest and the purest. And what we try and do, or I try and do, is then I take all the complicated from clients and then simplify it down to make it work hardest in whatever channel it needs to go through. Yeah, and stop people being so puritanical about it because actually things can change occasionally. I mean, although I think brand guideline volumes are very important, it can be incredibly torturous when you've absolutely got to have the logo bottom left. Yeah. You think, no, it doesn't bloody fit bottom left. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, I, I spent a number of years working on the Mercedes-Benz account. And again, their brand guidelines were ridiculous. But I understand why, because everywhere you went, it's a bit like going to McDonald's, wherever you go, McDonald's around the world, it's the same. You've got this sense of trust with that. There's a, there's a sense of, you know, um, expertise, you know, a certain sense of, you know, you don't want different dealerships doing really rubbish logos up top end corner and all looking a mess in a dog's dinner. That's really bad for the brand, for the bigger brand picture. So it's always got to look as smart and as sharp as it can. But at the same time, brands, when they've got to that stage, they're very powerful. And yeah. as long as you don't really get it consistently wrong, I think it can support occasionally the logo being bottom right as opposed to bottom left. It's not going to, the whole world is not going to collapse if actually sometimes your logo reverses out wrong. It, yeah, agree, sir. Agree. I used to have a Penguin and Penguin also has this very big brand. And oh God, the number of times we had enormous, we had brand police at Penguin too. And the anger because the penguin was facing the other way. And we said to, pe we said to them eventually, we're going to do a poll with people and say, which way does the penguin penguin face? And nobody has the faintest idea which bloody way the penguin penguin faces. You see, I would, I would say as a branding guy, the penguin should be facing the way you turn a page. It's, I don't it, think wants it, does. To, yeah. it wants to lead you on to turn the next page. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have shelves. to go and find a book now and look that up. 
<laughs> it probably goes the but other way now, doesn't it? Yeah, probably oh, does. Probably does. It doesn't. Oh, here we are. We have one. It faces exactly the other way. If you look at it, it's looking over its. It's looking it's that a way. Contrary penguin. Is it? Just, just, just likes to be a trouble, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> pesky, pesky, pesky penguins. <laughs> Typical. But it's. Yep. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you say the word penguin, and if you, you just said pen, you say two words, penguin and book, I'm immediately penguin books, and I, I've got a vision in my head um, of exactly what it is. I know the kind of books I know I'm going to go to, and it's immediately got that that trust, interest, whatever, quirkiness. I mean, I love the fact it's just a, it's a tactile thing, even getting buying a book, buying a penguin book and having them on a bookshelf. They look great. But it's, as you say, the simplicity. I mean, I, I've looked at this. I remember going way back to university days we were talking about how many businesses actually survive and we had this fantastic graph that shows like 1900 to whenever how how many survived or from the 18 19th century you know and obviously very few actually survive but some of the big brands survive and you look i i it's one thing i seem to find is that the simplicity seems to there's an increase in simplicity in terms of both logo and both brand to a certain degree i mean it, it seems simple on the surface at least um you look at some of those immortal you know rolls royce brands you, you mentioned mercedes etc there's there's certain icons aren't there which just developed and develop and then everyone seems to go towards that simplicity but of course it's it's all of the all of the work that's been done around that 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 understanding of what that means isn't it and the reinforcement of what that image or it might be means to you so i suppose it's getting to that point isn't it i suppose once you've 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 done the work and you've you've allowed the brand to evolve and, and you've sort of you've reached a point where you, you have that recognition and then you need to work on perhaps simplifying but i suppose it's interesting journey isn't it how you get to that point and and one thing we've spoken about before is is the feedback and the understanding i suppose of how the brand's perceived certainly if you're in a a, a scale-up business say you know and uh, I mean, how how, do, how can people do that most effectively you think where they can actually understand what does our brand mean perhaps and then how can we think about simplifying down perhaps perhaps we've tried to do a lot and we've we've had various different channels and product lines and now we're actually the business structurally is simplifying Did, how, how much do we need to try and understand how can we most effectively understand what what's the most important thing do you think andrew from our from our audience i think it's trying to I think it's trying to understand what the brand stands for. What's its USP? What's, how does it define? What's its mission statement? And where does it want to be? I, I think a, a good example of that is Innocent Drinks, Innocent Smoothies. And, and they started off being, a you know, just another drink smoothie company. And then they did a, a campaign and they got lots of old people to knit little wooden hats, which they put on top of each pocket in winter. And, you know, suddenly that exploded in terms of one of the first viral, you know, digital campaigns. Um, and then they suddenly became, the brand was all about doing good and the pureness and everything like that that went into their drinks kind of excluded out of their drinks. So it went further out of what they do in terms of what their mission statement was, what their proposition was, why they were different from Tropicana, which had been like the big juice brand at the time in the day back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and I thought... Little companies, small companies are like that. You know, the small SMEs and startups. It's, it's finding that niche and then being true to themselves. And then as they grow, still be true to themselves. So actually, what, what are we here actually doing? You know, yes, we might have gone from five people to 50, but what do we actually stand for? Do we have a platform? What's our mission statement? Yes, it might be tweaked and we want to say this, this and this, but that's all campaignable outside the brand. If you're still honest with yourself, and I go back to this honesty, 
you know, then you're going to get more people to go, actually, I'd buy into that because it's true. Yeah. Do you think it would be valuable, it, it is valuable, for businesses to actually get all their staff together and have a very brief workshop about what their brand is to make sure that everyone's working off the same page? I, I, I don't say so absolutely right. Every year companies do, you know, big get-togethers. And, and part of that should be, this is what we stand for. This is what we've been looking at this year. Just remind themselves almost like this is where I want to go. Yeah, and it very, very rarely ever gets talked about brand at that kind of thing, because you're right, it's tragic. There's not a whole section about brand in, in sales conferences. Yeah, and, and even more so now since COVID, you know, when big companies and small companies had to change and pivot and align and, you know, reassess what they do, they're still using an old brand, an old kind of mission, an old strap line that has actually changed fundamentally. And that needs to be communicated. If, if you think all a brand does, it's, it's a communication tool. It's not only their customers, but also their employees as well. Yeah, I think people forget the power of communicate internal communications. Yeah. It's not. It, it tends you tend to get what you get is you'll there'll have, someone will have come up with a brilliant idea. But these are the five words that we stand for. You know, truthful, honest, reliable, and lovely which all of which are completely pointless words to have but you'll then have on your desk all of a sudden overnight a coaster will have appeared on your desk with those <laughs> words to make you feel motivated and you think really i don't think that's really the point of your brand i think also if you're force fed it constantly it then loses its impact it's not about that it's it's doing it's almost like the the, the, the subtleties of it the you know being subjective being you know just gently going, actually, guys, this is where we need to be. Yeah. Is there something about a brand that it's quite difficult to put into words? Brands are, a, brands are is also a kind of feeling, isn't it? You just, that sense oh. of trust in something. You can't say, I love this brand because. You just, I love this brand. And that's about as far as that sentence can go. I think it goes into, I'm going to tell you a little story. I, I raced a boat around the world back in 2002. Um, and you wore these sailing boots called Dubarry boots. And they were kind of, you know, you lived in these boots. They were anti-slip. So anyone on the deck being washed down the boat with big storms and stuff, they'd kind of keep you safe. So halfway around the world, my Dubarry boots, the sole split on them. I was in the South China Sea, massive holes in them. The next stop was in, um, was in uh, China. And I literally phoned up Dubarry from China. I said, I'm really sorry. You know, I'm doing this around the world race, this yacht race. Um, my soles are split. It says you've got a lifetime guarantee. Any chance you can just send some more out. I had a new pair within 48 hours. It was, um, they didn't, they're from Ireland, they're an Irish brand. They didn't make, there's no fuss, there's nothing. I had to send the old pair back because they just wanted to see where it had gone, I think, for their product development. Um, but, you know, that's customer service and that's, that's the brand delivery. And I will never, ever change now that brand because they've always been there when I needed them. And their service, and so their service started from buying the boots in the first place to then a phone call to then receiving a new set halfway around the world. And without complaint, you know, it's like the John Lewis never knowing the undersold type thing. What's really sad, John Lewis have just got rid of that. They've just yes. stopped it. Which is, that's, re that's a really interesting thing that you've just raised there. You're right, that is that, that knowledge that, and I've never, ever gone back into John Lewis and said, well, oh, actually, I found this much cheaper in the shop down the road. 
it's just you just know they never that you trust them and you're like with you said with your boots you just knew that you probably knew inside yourself that when you phoned them up they were just going to send a new pair weren't they well yes you'd hope so i mean they were they were small little business now they're they're huge but i i it's going back to that brand and you know then i become their best brand asset because i then want to talk about them i'll then say to all the rest of my around the world sailors guys could barry do this got to get yourself a pair of those and that's what the brands are looking for constantly. They want people to go, did you hear what these guys did? Now, I, had, I had the most amazing experience in the, in the handbag shop in the Cotswold. Or, you know, I, I had the most amazing, um, uh, another one was, you know, you go and stay in a hotel, which is much more customer focused, for example. And, but they're all the brand, aren't they? Like the Hiltons and the Marriott's and whatever. But that customer service, as soon as you step through those doors, it's, if it's above and beyond, you just go, wow, okay. That was unexpected. As you say, I, mean, I think that sums it up beautifully because it's the moments of cu- either customer delight or, cu- or, or, or just fulfilment of promise, of promises, isn't it really? It's that promise of service or product, which uh, I was going to say as well, wow, that sounds incredible, your around the world um, uh, adventure as well. So that's a whole other podcast episode, I think, but that, that, that's brilliant. Um, just very impressive, that was great. Well, that's it, everyone. Thank you very much for listening today. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to keep in touch, you can find us at Meanders Pod on Twitter, or you can get to us on Facebook. You can also uh, email us, which is meanderspod at gmail.com. So uh, hope to see you or hear you or you to hear us next time anyway. And uh, good luck, everyone. Take care. Bye for now. <laughs>